Good crush the defense by Milwaukee. Now Durant fires and hits with the shot clock running down. He hits for... And we are back. Welcome to the TDs and Threes podcast. I'm Daz. He's Smithy. Mate, what the actual hell has happened this week in the NBA? It has been bonkers. Yeah, it's been one of the craziest weeks I can remember in the NBA since following it. We did try and record an episode a bit earlier in the week, but we've hit some technical difficulties at the TDs and Threes podcast. But um, we are back today and we've got a lot to get through, don't we, mate? Oh, mate, we, we have so much to get through. We tried to sort of split this up into two parts, but the uh, the audio department, a.k.a. me and my uh, beautiful little MacBook here, decided to uh, work uh, inconsistently. And I think there are a couple of teams that can relate to that, mate. But we're going to get stuck in first. We have had a game already in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, the Suns got over the Clippers. That's it. The Suns take a one nothing lead in the Western Conference Finals. Um, no Chris Paul, no Kawhi in this game. So it really was left to the second superstars in a way. It was kind of a uh, Devin Booker uh, versus Paul George matchup. And um, our man D-Book just decided, nah, mate. You're not coming into our town after a good series win against the Jazz and just decided to drop 40, 13, and 11 on the Clippers in a 120-114 win. Um, Paul George, of course, uh, stood up as well, 34, 4, and 5, so nothing to sneeze at. But uh, Devin Booker's just going to another level in these playoffs, don't you think, mate? Yeah, he's been fantastic. Um, And this is the game. This will be the game that we look back to without Chris Paul Biggest stage he's played on so far being game one of the Western Conference Finals. And to come out and do what he did is just, yeah, it's insane, really. Um, Fantastic effort by D-Book and the whole Suns organization. So we are going to get to the Clippers uh, and their series against the Jazz in a minute. But when we heard Chris Paul was going into the COVID, sorry, health and safety protocols, I think we both let out sort of a collective shudder, wondering what they would do. Without him, he's definitely been the leader, the veteran presence, of course. Um, we know that he's turning down the uh, extension that Phoenix have offered him. Do you think the Phoenix organization are feeling a little, maybe a little bit better um, about prospects after he goes? Because I'll obviously try to bring another veteran in, but knowing that they can win a game of this magnitude without Chris Paul is only going to be a confidence boost moving forward, don't you think, even if they don't win the series? Yeah, and I think... Well, they had campaign starting at point guard. He had 11, three and nine in his 29 minutes on pretty good shooting. He had one turnover and he had a plus minus of 14. Now I know for a fact that in this off season, if they lose Chris Paul, they can go out and get an upgrade at that point guard position on campaign. And if they can get a bit better production than that, which is already very serviceable by pain then they're in a great spot, the Suns, because they've just got the the young role players around Devin Booker. They've got DeAndre Ayton. And if they can get that veteran point guard, then they're in a great spot again for next season. But we still need to look at this season because they're a serious contender for the NBA championship. Yeah, absolutely. Are, mate. And probably the most fun team to watch. Um, the, the, the team that if they're on... And I haven't got a lot on. I'll definitely tune in and watch. And it's been like that all year. So it's been really pleasing that 
they've been able to go on. But let's get on to the Clippers, mate. And we're not going to bash them for dropping game one. As we know, Kawhi Leonard uh, wasn't there. But last time we spoke, the Clippers and the Jazz, the Jazz were up 2-1. Um, and we were wondering uh, how this series would go. Kawhi obviously hurt his knee. But um, we do definitely need to get stuck into this series, I reckon. 79 points in the second half, Jeff. He was brilliant again. Paul George gets the ovation as he's taken out of the game. Here at Staples Center, it's official. The LA Clippers are going to the conference finals. First of all, mate, let's go back a touch. What were your initial reactions when um, Kawhi was basically confirmed out of the series? And just how big was this series win for the Clippers given the fact that their quote-unquote superstar wasn't there. Yeah, well, my first reaction to the injury was, oh, that's the Clippers done. Yeah. Because, honestly, Kawhi Leonard carried them through that seven-game series with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I think back to that game six performance where he scored 45 points on ridiculous shooting percentages and was literally the sole reason that they won that game. And when he went down at 2-1, I just thought, no, that'll be the Clippers done. They've got another excuse as why they haven't made the Western Conference Finals. They'll roll with the same squad again next year, and it might be the same result. But to the Clippers' credit, to come out and win the last four games of that, se- the last four games of that series, because they were down 2-0, mm. and they won in six. So, And three of them being without Kawhi Leonard, that's just an insane effort. Paul George really stood up and I don't think he can get criticism anymore for his poor playoff performances, considering how well he played in those three games against the jazz. And he had a really good game against the Suns as well. Um, So yeah, fantastic effort by the Los Angeles Clippers and they deserve all the credit in the world for getting through to the Western conference finals. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, of course, hardcore fans that have already got their minds set on this, you're not going to change their minds. But for the casual fans that have uh, understood that Paul George has copped a lot of criticism for his postseason performances, uh, came out at the end of the uh, last postseason uh, talking about his mental health and his anxiety. And we hope that he's doing better. But we got to game five. No Kawhi. He's come out and dropped 37, 16 and five in an eight point win. Um and then moving on to game six, where you thought they could probably drop one here. Again, they weren't expected to win any sort of games with Kawhi out. Um, and then he scored 28, 9, and 7 in the closeout game. But the man, pun intended, that we need to talk about in that game six, Terrence Mann, just decided to drop 39 points. And if we're being honest, Smithy, it came out of nowhere. Yeah, I was actually playing a game of footy during this game so I missed it and I got off the field and I went to my mate oh what happened in the in the game six with the Clippers and he said Clippers won and I was like oh really Paul George must have had an insane game and he said Terrence Mann scored 39 I said excuse me <laughs> and I just and I just waited for him to say no nah, I'm just joking because no disrespect to Terrence Mann but at no point has he shown the capability to score 39 points on seven of 10 from the three-point line. It was just an out-of-worldly performance by the man. Yep, averaged 19 minutes this season for seven points. So fair to say dropping 39 was the epitome of coming from nowhere. Um, And he's a uh, 
Florida State alumni, so <clears throat> shout out to him as well. Oh, Smithy's uh, neck of the woods. A little bit of love for Reggie Jackson as well, my friend. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, the Clippers needed players to stand up without Kawhi, as we know, and he just decided to drop 22 in game five and 27 and 10 assists um, in game six. So with all the credit that um, Clippers deserve, a little bit of individual love for Reggie Jackson there, who, again, is another Clipper who's copped some criticism, especially throughout the regular season for perhaps not performing. But when the whips were cracking, he was another one that stood up. Yeah, he's always actually been a very good playoff performer, Reggie Jackson, going back to his time with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, when Russell Westbrook was injured, he came in and did a great job there. Played a few playoff games with Detroit, believe it or not, and then went over to the Clippers. And yeah, he's been fantastic. He's really performed in those big games. So he knows how to get it done in June, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, that's it. And that's, and of well, as we know, that's probably more valuable than um, burning out in the regular season. So if the Clippers, are you giving the Clippers what sort of chance um, in this series if Kawhi doesn't return? He is expected to return at some stage, but if for some reason um, Kawhi misses, we probably expect Phoenix to go through, do we agree? I think the Clippers need to lose this next game because they'll be down 0-2 in the last two series. They've come back from 0-2, so it might be something in that. But in all seriousness, um, I think it's you can't rule them out based off what they've done in this playoff run. So even if Phoenix do go 2-0 up, you just can't write the Clippers off because they've shown so much fight and they've shown that they've got so much belief in not only their abilities but the system they play in. So. They will be fighting right till the final seconds, but I do expect Phoenix to advance to the NBA finals, especially once they get Chris Paul back, which looks like it could be for game two, potentially, if not definitely game three. So yeah, it's the, it's the Suns for me. I'll say Suns in six. Yeah, I like it, mate. Um, yeah, Suns for mine as well. I reckon Kawhi and Chris Paul comes back. I'd love to see this go to seven, um, just because I reckon this series is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm going to go Phoenix uh, in seven. But I think this series is going to be a hell of a lot of fun, really enjoyable. And I think this is one of those series that will really toughen up a side going into the NBA Finals. So this series might be tougher than the NBA Finals itself. So I think whoever wins this series will go on to win it. Um, no disrespect to the two teams that are in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're going to get to them in just a second. We don't like to bash the losers here on the TDs and threes podcast, mate. We know that the media love a loser and fans love a winner, but we're just going to touch on the jazz a little bit. Donovan Mitchell wasn't a hundred percent throughout the last three or four games in this series, as we know, but being the number one seed, um, it's hard to say that the whole season was a failure, but how disappointed do you think the jazz organization should be and are? given that they were 2 nil up and effectively flying. They got the break with Kawhi going out. And they, the last four games of the series, they seemingly imploded. Yeah, there was a bit of a capitulation there. But the Utah Jazz, as much as we talk about Kawhi being injured, they were struggling with injuries as well. Uh, as you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell wasn't right with his ankle. Mike Conley missed nearly the whole series with a hamstring injury. 
there was just clouds floating above the Utah Jazz organization, uh, injury clouds, that is. And I think the way the Clippers played, they exposed Rudy Gobert. I think if you take Rudy Gobert out of his comfort zone, which is what the Clippers did by starting Nick Batum, a 6'8", small forward, essentially, at center, and just playing five out on the perimeter, it takes Rudy Gobert out of his comfort zone makes it hard for him to impact on defense like he usually does. And that, that for me, was the key to the Clippers winning the series, was taking Gobert out of the paint and do, doing what they wanted to do on offense. The Clippers got to do what they wanted to do and not be impacted by the three-time defensive player of the year. So I think credit goes to the Clippers. There's excuses there for the Jazz. But with Donovan Mitchell being so young, they've got years to come contending, I think. As long as they can keep building teams around Donovan Mitchell, they will be contending for years to come. So their organization is in a good spot. They shouldn't be too disappointed with what has transpired. So shout out to the Jazz for a good year. Some bad luck come the playoffs, but they'll be there again next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think fans of the Jazz have got every entitlement to be like, this sucks, this will burn, but... Yeah, I agree with you. They'll be back next year. If they're not a top four seed next year, I think something seriously wrong has happened. And I think Donovan Mitchell, uh, I don't want to go the early crawl on the MVP, but I definitely reckon he's going to be up there. I know he's young, but this young man has got the capabilities of being one of the better players in the league. So, you know, I'm not saying put your house on it or anything, but um, yeah, I think he's a, an early contender. The Jazz are going to be a really good team. So looking forward to seeing him. But let's move on to the East, mate. And boy, oh boy, am I looking forward to this. The rebound, puts it in. Right now. Harris for three. No. Herder with a rebound. And Atlanta, your Hawks are headed back to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in six years. We left last week. Philly and Atlanta were two all. We sat here going, do we think Atlanta can take one game? off the sixes well they did and then one more this went to seven atlanta go through to the eastern conference finals and there was not one man i think in australia happier than me as a boston fan seeing philly go down is fantastic and i am well aware that philly went further than we did and i'll give them all the kudos uh, in the world for that they were really good during the regular season but boy oh boy was this fun to watch. We're going to get to some crazy stats, but let's give Atlanta their kudos first, mate. As we know, we love a winner here. This was absolutely amazing from Atlanta. And as much as the media and probably us are going to knock Philly a little bit and rightly so, given how they went, there should be absolutely no credit taken away from the Hawks at all. This was outstanding. Yeah, they were incredible. They really were incredible. And just the resilience of this young team was amazing to watch. It really was. Um, Trey Young standing up. Well, how good was Trey Young over this series and over amazing. this playoff run? I've got I've got a Trey Young stat for you. So this is obviously Trey Young's first playoff run, mm-hmm. and up to Game Six. So taking the five games against New York and the first five games against Philadelphia, he had scored 536 points in those 10 games 
and that's the most all time through first through someone's first 10 career playoff games. Wow. So he has come in and dominated his first game, first 10 playoff games, taking the record for all time points scored. And he carried that on through game six and game seven. And he is 100% the main reason the Atlanta Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals. He's had role players around him, but his level of excellence over his first 12 playoff games has just been insane. Yeah, it's been genuinely bonkers. Um, for And he's been able to do it a bunch of different ways. As we know, a lethal shooter, um, especially from deep. But for him to go two of six uh, in game six from deep and still end up with 39 points is just... It's a man that has found different ways to score, which just makes him all the more frightening um, for Milwaukee in this series, as we know, but also going into next year. Again, another young star that's coming through. Him and Devin Booker have probably been the two biggest uh, reputation enhancers uh, in this series. But as we know, mate, we like to give a bit of love uh, when we can. Uh, in game seven, Atlanta, as they know, needed more than just Trey Young to stand up uh, in a closeout game. Philly, we're going to come at them, as we know. And Kevin Huerta, I really hope I've pronounced that correctly. 27, 7, and 3 from 40 minutes. Went 10 of 18, 5 of 7 from the line to end up, as I said, with 27 points. Trey had his 10 assists, and John Collins had 14 and 16. But we'll, as I said, we'll get on to Philly in a second. But Atlanta, this... This kind of run that they're having, is this a run that is the foundation for them to build something pretty special? Or are you worried that this could be a team that's overachieved and comes back to the pack maybe next year or the year after? No, I think this is definitely a foundation builder. If they can keep this roster together and get a few little pickups on the side, I think John Collins is the one to watch because he's up for a contract extension. There will be teams who throw in big money as a restricted free agent. Is Atlanta willing to pay up to keep this team together? Because they're going to have to pay to keep John Collins around. So do they roll with the same roster or do they look elsewhere? I think the way John Collins has played in this playoff series, you have to keep him around. Mm. You have to just roll with it because he's been awesome. If he can pick up his defense, he can end up being the small ball five if Clint Capella gets played out of the game, which he has a few times this playoff run. Yeah, so I think this is the building blocks for a pretty special team. Trey Young's pretty easy to build around. They've got young pieces on the wing with DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish who haven't really featured much in this playoff series especially. I think Hunter's injured and Cam Reddish is just out of the rotation, but they're two pretty special young players. So the Hawks have got it all ahead of them. Yeah, that's it. And the uh, the John Collins, Marcus Smart situation is really one to watch that's popping up um, on multiple platforms. A lot of these trade rumors, as we know, mate, can be a, uh, a way to just grab some headlines. But yeah, there's been sort of three or four publications that are putting out 
uh, how quite unquote perfect Marcus Smart would be next to Trey Young. And as a Boston fan, I'm obviously going to pay attention to uh, Celtics trade rumors more than anything. If you were Atlanta, would you entertain a package that revolves around getting rid of John Collins for Marcus Smart? Because, I mean, we're going to look at it as Marcus was a man that bricked threes a ridiculous amount, but you can't deny that Trey Young's defensive, I don't want to say liabilities, but defensive struggles might be solved by a man that's been all defense uh, twice. So if John Collins were to depart, is that sort of trade package you think beneficial for the Hawks or do they need to look elsewhere? I think that could be a good package because I think finding a power forward who can roll to the rim is easier than a first team all defense type of player. Mm. Um, Marcus Smart's skill set is a lot more desirable and hard to find in terms of being a top five defender in the league than John Collins, who is an athletic power forward who can sometimes stretch the floor. Um, you can find them pretty easily, but it goes back to the question, do you want to keep the chemistry intact? Do you want to keep the pieces around who took you to the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially further? Obviously, we're recording this before a game's played in the Conference Finals, but yeah, it all goes back to if they want to keep the crew together. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see what the Hawks do with John Collins. I think they should re-sign him and keep the squad together. But also, if they can get a package for someone like Marcus Smart, then, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I'll be intrigued to see what they do. Yeah, I think that's one of those trades that perhaps both teams might win, but it would also make sense for both teams not to do it. So... One to watch. All right, mate, let's move on to Philly. I've got the smile on my face because, oh boy, this was fun for me as a Boston fan. But I'll let you take the floor first. Um, ben Simmons, of course, uh, local boy, grew up 40 minutes from where you and I are. We live pretty close to each other. So um, the epitome of a local lad. He is copying all the criticism, it seems, from the media. Um, so before we get into... Uh, his struggles during this series. I think a question that needs to be asked is how much, give me a percentage, how much of the blame Ben Simmons deserves for this? Because I feel like as much as knocking the sixes is going to be a bit fun for me, but I think that the amount that he's copying is a fraction unfair. So give us a percentage of the blame you think Ben Simmons deserves for the sixes failure in this series. Uh, he definitely deserves a lot of the blame. And you know me, I'm as big a Ben Simmons fan as there is going around. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a huge Ben Simmons guy, not only because he's, you know, from Australia and I root for anyone from Australia, but just because he brings something different to the game in terms of his size and his skill set. But to make 34% of your free throws in the playoffs is unacceptable. Yeah. And for someone on the money that he is, he has to be better. But I think some of the blame needs to go on Doc Rivers and some of the blame needs to go on Tobias Harris. Uh, I don't think Tobias Harris's game five performance is getting spoken about enough. The man who is one of the highest paid players in the NBA 
mm. signed a five-year, $180 million extension to stay in Philly. Yeah, wow. In 38 minutes in game five, he scored four points, had four rebounds on two of 11 shooting and zero of three from the three-point line and did not get to the free throw line at all. Now, you can talk about Ben Simmons and his four of 14 from the free throw line in game five, but his plus minus was plus seven. So when Ben Simmons was on the court, Philly were the better team. Whereas Tobias's, Tobias Harris's plus minus in that game was negative 10. So it's a stark contrast, isn't it? it? And people want to go in on Ben Simmons because it's the easy thing to do because he's missing free throws and that. But the thing with Ben Simmons is when he's on the court, defensively, you are extremely better off than when he's off the court. He's always going to fall back on his defense because that's what he's elite at. If Tobias Harris isn't putting the ball in the basket, he's essentially useless. Mm. And he didn't do that in game five. And his negative 10 in that loss was huge. He did have a better game six. He scored 24 points on nine of 20. So that's respectable. He had a plus minus of plus three. And then in game seven, he had 24 again, day, I think. He had, like he had 24, 24 and 14, yeah, but it was on eight of 24 shooting, 33%. Yeah. Gross. And he had a plus minus of negative six. So I think a lot of the blame needs to go on Tobias Harris as well. And I've got some Doc Rivers stats for you. Oh, please share. Now, during the regular season, we praised Doc Rivers for coming in. It looked like he was going to be the difference maker for this process to finally finish. But Doc Rivers' game seven record in the playoffs is abysmal. He's now lost nine game sevens, which is the most by a coach in NBA history. He has lost five of those game sevens at home, which oh. is also the most in NBA history. Wow. He has lost each of his last four game sevens, the equal yeah. worst streak in NBA history. He has 29 losses in potential closeout games. So not just game sevens, but yeah. any game in a series where you can win, he's lost 29 times. That's the most in NBA history. And his win percentage of 34 in closeout games among coaches with 20 such games is the worst in NBA history. Wow. So they are some damning stats about yeah, it's not good. Doc Rivers' inability to close out playoff series. Now, that's not a fluke, my friend. No, it can't be. There's there's too much data for that to be a fluke. So there is something fundamentally wrong with Doc Rivers' coaching that his teams have an inability to close out a series. Are you seeing anything that's making you think you've got an answer for this? Is he trying to change too much? Is he not trying to change enough? If he, have you got anything that could uh, whittle us down to a reason why? And Obviously, the latest um, closeout game is going to be the one to look at in particular because it's way too easy to look back and go, should have done this, should have done this if it was something like 10 years ago. But game seven, again, Atlanta on paper were not a better team and probably weren't that close. So what happened, do you think, from Doc Rivers' side that's you know given him all these records and made uh, Philly drop game seven? Because 
although it was, I think it was a seven point margin in the end for the last sort of five minutes of that game, Philly didn't look like winning. Yeah. I, I think it's a lack of adjustment on his part. I think there's just, there was just certain things in terms of Trey Young killed the Philadelphia 76ers in pick and roll situations. Mm. His ability to come off screens and hit floaters was fantastic. But at no point in the series do I remember Doc Rivers changing his defensive game plan on the pick and roll. Yeah, He played the same drop coverage with Embiid the whole time. And Trey Young just had a field day. He had that many open floaters inside the paint. It wasn't funny. And when Embiid dropped and then came up to contest the floater, it left Clint Capella wide open for yeah. an alley-oop. So yeah. that was some damning vision that ESPN played a few days ago that highlighted that beautifully. Yeah. Trey Young literally was just watching Joel Embiid. And if he didn't move, he'd shoot the floater. And if he did, as you said, Clint Capella was wide open. So he, and that's obviously on Doc Rivers to go. We need to obviously stop this. So you think he hasn't done that. And with, with Ben Simmons on the floor guarding Trey Young between him and Joel Embiid, you have that much size and that much wingspan that you should be able to cover that. Yeah. I there mean, like, no way... disrespect to Trey, but in comparison, he's like a mosquito. Yeah, exactly. There should be a way for you guys to trap the ball and get it out of Trey Young's hands, but he just did what he wanted. And the fact that they didn't change that defensive coverage for seven games, I think is a contributor to why the Sixers lost the series, to be honest. Yeah, I like it, mate. I think someone from the Sixers that deserves a little bit of love, uh, Seth Curry, uh, in the last three games of the series, averaged 25 points. Um, but what was really damning was in game five, he dropped 36. Joel Embiid dropped 37 and they still, and they still lost, which was probably the most probably the biggest sign that um Atlanta probably had the sixes where they wanted them way earlier than Philly had Atlanta so but a little shout out to Seth Curry there go on mate in that in that game five Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were the only Philadelphia 76ers to score a basket in the second half yeah that's ridiculous now that's just not okay when you've got Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris on massive money for them not to score a point in the second half of that game. Yep. It's just unacceptable. So big changes are coming in Philly. They sure are, mate. And that stat from game five that came out, that was all over the, uh, the socials was Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris together were earning um, $24 million more than Atlanta's starting five put together. And like you said, neither of them scored a basket in the second half. So Changes coming in uh, in Philly, mate. And just on Ben Simmons again, I know that it sounds like we're running over the lad, but 46 missed free throws. If he was a team on its own in the playoffs, he would have missed the fifth most just by himself. So, I mean, over the offseason, there are rumors that he's dropping out of the Tokyo Olympics to work on his game. I mean, as an Aussie, no, knowing that we could potentially medal in the Olympics, it's probably a bit disappointing. But if you're a Sixers fan out there or a fan of a team that might pick him up, it seems like Ben Simmons on the move is what's going around right now. Uh, hearing that he's working on his game, 
I mean, as Australians, we want him to get better. And I know I'm not his biggest fan, but it's not really that fun, you know, effectively you know, kicking the hell out of someone when they're down this bad. I know the media love to do it, but fingers crossed that he does the work that he needs to do because if he doesn't, mate, he's going to be a liability on offense late in games. And when you've got these crucial playoff games, it's hard to see him being on a championship team on this kind of money when he's on the bench in the last minute. So um, any last comments on Ben or Philly before we move on, my friend? Ben Simmons to Portland, 2022. Make it happen. (laughs) There we go. All right, mate. Um, Let's move on to Atlanta's uh, opponent. All right, here's Giannis blooping one to Lopez, and that'll do it. The Bucks beat the Mets in seven. Now, Milwaukee versus Brooklyn. Wasn't this a series filled with drama? Um, we're going to get to a few things about this series, mate, but this, how happy were you that this series went to a game seven? It deserved the game seven in a way, didn't it? Yeah, if there was any playoff series that I can remember, it was this one deserving to go to a game seven. It was just an unbelievable series from start to finish. Obviously, congratulations to the Bucs. Um, we love pumping up the winners on this podcast, as you've said many times. So uh, congratulations, Milwaukee Bucks. But Kevin Durant, oh boy. That's it, mate. Well, if for some reason that you were living under a rock, Smithy, and you didn't already know this, but Kevin Durant is a genuine freak. (laughs) It's not okay that he was able to put up these performances. Kevin Durant is good at basketball. Yeah, he's not bad at this. A thread. Old uh, Jamie Foxx Jr., he's going well, and we wish him the best. But, I mean, for me, you've obviously been following the NBA for a few more years than I have, but that was the best. Uh, game five, that was the best playoff game or playoff performance I've seen by an individual player. Can you think of any better? Yeah, I go back to LeBron in game one of the finals. They lost to the Warriors. Um, I think he had a 50-point triple-double in game one of the finals, but they still lost. So in terms of an individual performance, that one's on top for me. A 50-point triple-double is nothing to sneeze at, especially in game one of the NBA finals. But Kevin Durant's performance to lead them to a win was incredible. Play, what was, how astounded were you that he played all 48 minutes, which is something that I don't think KD had done in his career up until that point. Yeah, it's an it's a incredible effort. Um, and I'm pretty sure he played all 53 minutes of the game seven because there was an overtime as well. Um, I believe he didn't sit for any of that game either. So the dedication and the willingness to win and leave his body on the court. um, Yeah, as it says, James Harden and Kevin Durant played all 53 minutes of that game seven. So it's a massive effort. Unfortunately, they just couldn't get over the line for their sake. But um, Kevin Durant has just reminded everyone that even though he tore his Achilles and 
had to sit out a year of basketball, he is still probably the most talented scorer we have in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And after after that game five, it seemed like Kevin Durant was going to lead them to the promised land. We got to game six. Milwaukee won by 15 points to set up our tantalizing game seven. Uh, the first time since 2008 that two players had scored 40 points in a closeout game, mate. Um, we'll touch on KD first before we get to Milwaukee as the winners, but 48, 9, and 5. Like you said, played all 53 minutes. So up until this playoff series, I don't think he'd played all the minute available minutes uh, in a game. And then to do it two out of three games, the man's just astounding. 17 of 36 shooting, 10 of 11 from the free throw line to end up 48, 9, and 6. He's probably had two of the top five playoff performances of all time. Um, well, they'd definitely be up there. But the fact that he's done it in the same series, and I think only five days apart, is just outstanding. So. Um, any final comments on the Nets, mate, before we actually move on to the winners? Yeah, um, the Nets were literally a shoe size away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. With Kevin Durant's foot being slightly on the line. If he didn't have such a big foot, uh, we'd be talking about the Nets against the Hawks at the moment. But I guess that's just the game of inches that is basketball, um, the great sport. Shout out to Kevin Durant. It'll be interesting to see how they go building a roster around this big three now in the off season to see if they can improve the roster or if they have to trim some money off. The Nets will be an interesting watch um, over the off season. So I'm looking forward to it, but shout out on a great season. Well, that's the sort of question though, because they, they've, I mean, they've effectively, well, they have been kicked out of the second round of the playoffs. So as much as injuries played and we can't deny that it's been a huge factor, surely that you can't really call this season a pass for this team. Can you? I think it was clear. The writing was on the wall that if they had Kyrie Harden and Durant all at a hundred percent, that they were the best team in the NBA. Yeah. So I think you take that and roll with it. Just put this playoff run down to bad luck with the injuries and go again next year. I think that's all you can do as the Brooklyn Nets management. Yeah, I like it, mate. And just a bit of a shout out to Joe Harris as well. When KD went absolutely insane with his um, 49 point triple double. Um, no, apologies. Um, different game, but... Um, Joe Harris for a spot up three point shooter. It was something like in the last 29 games this year, he was number one for no, uh, for three point, uh, shooting off no dribble. So, um, is he outside of the big three? Is he probably like the fourth player that Brooklyn need to keep around? Who is Brooklyn's fourth best player? Well, Brooklyn Twitter's not very happy with Joe Harris at the moment. A lot of people are calling for his head um, after a few rough shooting nights at the end of that series. I think it's tough to say who Brooklyn's fourth best player is because outside of the big three, it's literally full of role players. Hmm. So I look at someone, a young player like Nicholas Claxton, who we can see being the starting center at some point for this team as someone that they need to prioritize. I think players like Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, 
you know, those sort of guys are going to come and go. But someone like Nicholas Claxton, who's young, who's getting better, and who can be the next wave of players for Brooklyn, I think they're the sort of players they need to prioritize in the offseason. Um, I know Brooklyn Twitter doesn't run the organization, but yeah, they want Joe Harris gone. So I don't know, it might be something to watch. Yeah, I think so. A three of 10 shooting in game seven is not great, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a bit harsh from the old uh, Nets on Twitter. They are one of the more fun teams on social media, though. So even if you aren't a Nets fan, feel free to give them a follow. Jeez, it's, uh, it's fun to look at. All right, mate, let's go on to the winners. The Bucs, um, when KD went nuts, uh, all the criticism came for the Bucs and inexplicably came for Giannis, rightly or wrongly. Um, but they responded, they needed to, and they definitely have. Giannis was obviously the second player to drop the 40 points. He had 40, 40 sorry, 13 and five. He also had a block. Um, oh, I still struggle to see Giannis as a big leader. Um, no one can deny that this man's a star and has, you know, more talent than, you know, I do in my pinky finger. I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but if the Bucs are struggling for something out of him, I think it's it's still leadership. But in saying that, game seven, the Nets were coming, had to stand up, and he definitely did. Played 50 minutes, went 15 of 24. But we called for this, Smithy. He's not shooting as many three-pointers. Hallelujah. Yep. Finally, he's realizing his limitations and playing to his strengths. So that's something we like to see. Uh, now, I did call him out you on did. an earlier episode. I, I mean, said, the man's six foot 11. Do we really, what sort of situation do Milwaukee have that they think he needs to be their spot up three point shooter? And I looked down the barrel of this lens and I said, Giannis, improve your free throw shooting son. Yeah. And to his credit in game seven, he went eight of 14 from the line which is respectable enough. And is there was one bad air ball. Well, it's better than what he was doing in game one. That's for sure. And he made one. them, he made them when they counted. So um, yeah, shout out to you, Arnest. Well done. Well done. Like I'm able to call out, able to give credit. That's a balance that I think the NBA media would um, do well to introduce because oh, oh golly gosh. All right, mate, I'm going to give a bit of love. A bit of love. We like a bit of love on this show. We, um, we're not afraid to give the credit that's deserved. And my man, Chris Middleton, uh, he became my man after he was tearing it up um, on fantasy for me. But in reality, uh, how have you seen, before I just go on to a bit of man crush, man love here, how have you seen his series? Do you think he has slipped under the radar because the focus on Milwaukee is on Giannis? Chris Middleton is a man who always will and always has flown under the radar in terms of the Milwaukee Bucks because they've got Giannis. But his performances, especially on defense, like he had five steals in game seven. Five steals. Now we and know game he's six, a good, he had five steals. Well, that's just ridiculous. We know he's a good defender, but um, that's that's amazing. He only shot 34% in game seven, but as you said, he had 
10 rebounds and five steals with six assists. So yeah, he's, he's a bona fide second star alongside Giannis. That's for sure. Yeah. Three, two down. Obviously the Bucks won the last two games of the series. So game six, closeout game, Milwaukee. It's home court. They had everything to play for. He walked out and had 38, 10 and five and five steals. As we said in 42 minutes, he went 11 of 16 shooting, 11 of 12 from the line. Maybe a uh, could be a man that Yanis uh, could uh, learn from. Uh, no shade there, Yanis. Well, maybe a little bit of shade, but that's all right. Chris is one of those guys that the media, and by the media, it's Colin Cowherd and your mate Nick Wright, um, are really happy to go. He's not a number two. He's not a number two. You can't rely on this guy. There is nothing, I think, sweeter for us as fans is to see players who are hated in the media. Well, not hated in the media, but players that cop it in the media and then stick a proverbial middle finger back up at them. Now, I'm not saying Chris Middleton is, you know, the Pippin to a Jordan or anything like that, but do you think he's copped too much disrespect? Because as a man that absolutely loves what he's bringing to the court, I'm saying yes, but worried I might be biased. Yeah, I don't think he can be criticized. I I don't know why he cops so much in the media. Um, he does his job. And that's all he's expected to do. And he does it really, really well in terms of being that two-way player. We've already highlighted his defense so far. And his ability to score the ball has just got better and better every year. So there's really nothing to pile on Chris Middleton about. Um, all of that criticism is just people looking for another headline. So I won't go too much further into it because I'll start blowing my top. No, that's all right, mate. If you want to blow your top, you can. It's going to make for good conversation. But yeah, I agree with you, mate. It's ridiculous. Um, Drew Holiday, um, the Bucks brought him in for his defense, for a bit of toughness. Uh, I think some sphincters were tightening in the first three quarters of game seven because Drew wasn't having... A fantastic game, but how much credit do you think the Bucks organization need to be able to A, bring him in, B, let him operate in the system? Because as much as the first three quarters of game seven didn't go his way, he still had an excellent year. Yeah, he did have an excellent year. And you know what you're going to get from Drew Holiday? He's a first-team first All-NBA defense member. And you know that he's going to bring that every single night. Looking at his season averages, he averaged 18 points on 50% field goal percentage. So that's outstanding in itself. Mm. He averaged six assists and five rebounds. So really nice, well-rounded stats there as the third scorer, as the third option. And you mentioned his game seven struggles. Now, this is a sign of someone who has an excellent mentality in terms of playing the game of basketball. Drew Holiday could not buy a bucket in the first three quarters. Let's just put it frankly. <laughs> yeah. He he was throwing up enough bricks to make a house. It was not good. But for him to have the confidence and the steely resolve to put that all behind him and really contributed in that fourth quarter, he, sco- he scored nine points. He hit two threes and he made a few more. Uh, he made two more jump shots. He just put all the struggles behind him and made the shots when they mattered. And he was obviously the one guarding Kevin Durant when he missed that shot 
in overtime that uh, resulted in the Bucks winning the game. So he bought his defense like always. And in that fourth quarter, he he made some big shots. So he stood up when it counted and he's been a fantastic addition to the Bucks uh, roster. And arguably the thing that's put them over the top in terms of getting further on in the playoffs than they did last year. Yeah, been fantastic, Drew. So we've got Milwaukee and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals. Just going to put it out there, mate. I know Atlanta has had a dream run, but I don't see them getting to the finals at all. I'm going the Bucks in five. Wouldn't surprise me if the Hawks pushed it to six, but I've got the Bucks in five. What about you? I also have the Bucks in five. Ah, there you go. All right, moving and- on. And if you're thinking to yourself, hang on. That's the conference finals expertly previewed. What more is there? Wow. Have you been paying attention? Because goodness me, there are things going on everywhere, mate. Let's start with the rookie of the year. It was always going to be controversial because I don't think a lot of people can deny that LaMelo looked the best prospect, but he didn't play a hell of a lot of basketball. So for those who don't know, LaMelo Ball, rookie of the year. Uh, Smithy, first of all, do you think it was the right choice? And do you believe the controversy around you should have to play a certain amount of games applies? Now, tell me if I'm wrong, Daz, but okay. the award is called Rookie of the Year. Yes. Not Rookie of Half the Year. <laughs> yes, it's Rookie because, of the Year, yes. Because, and now I cannot deny that LaMelo Ball looked the best rookie when he was on the court. Mm-hmm. But when I have to add when he was on the court, yeah, Doesn't that sound says right. it all. Yeah. Anthony Edwards' numbers for his rookie season were astounding. And he played the whole season. So, but look, I can see the argument either way. I do agree with people when they say LaMelo Ball had the biggest impact on their team. But I would have given the award to Anthony Edwards just for his consistency throughout the whole year and the numbers he was putting out throughout the whole year. But, you know, I can see the argument both ways. I'm not mad that LaMelo won the award. I just think that Anthony Edwards deserved it. I mean, didn't we have this argument last year with Zion versus Ja Morant? Like, why do you think that Ja won it last year and now they've gone LaMelo this year when... Um, I haven't got the games missed right in front of me, but it seemed like a very similar narrative. So why do you think the NBA is essentially flipped? I think in fairness, LaMelo did play a few more games than what Zion did, but I can see what you mean. Um, LaMelo is a name that has brought a lot of publicity to the NBA and without being a complete um, conspiracy theorist, there is reason to believe that the LaMelo Ball Rookie of the Year Award is there for the publicity. So oh, no. it's it's a tricky one. I can see, you know, if I could have given co-Rookie of the Years, I would have. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, shout out to Anthony Edwards, who went 19 points on 41.7% shooting, uh, just under five rebounds and three assists. I mean, Minnesota definitely didn't miss with that number one pick. When it comes to him and the forgotten man in all this, mate, is Tyrese Halliburton, who was the third rookie nominated. And not many gave uh, a lot of credit to for being in the conversation. But 
um, an outstanding first season for him. So we'll just touch on him since nobody else in the media wants to. How excited are you about his future prospects? He came into the league. A lot of people passed on him because of his jump shot. But he showed people that he can consistently knock down the three ball. And a pairing of him and De'Aaron Fox in the backcourt in Sacramento is exciting. They pretty much bring polar opposite abilities to the four. De'Aaron Fox is like a blur with his speed. He'll be going hyperactive on the court, running around like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and then Tyrese Halliburton brings a calming influence, beautiful playmaking, silky mover. So having those two in the backcourt in Sacramento, not a lot has been right about Sacramento in the last 20 years, but I think they've got something to look forward to in those two. Yeah, I think you're right, mate. And yeah, a bit of love for Tyrese Halliburton. Sorry that the uh, NBA media, mainstream media, couldn't give you any credit, mate, but uh, good luck to you and good luck to the Kings. As we said, not a lot's gone right. So uh, hopefully they can pick it up. Question without notice, mate, is De'Aaron Fox the most underrated player in the league? For mine, he's up there. I'm not sure if he's number one, but he's up there. Yeah, I'd say he's up there, but I wouldn't call him the most underrated player in the league. He's a freak, though. So good luck to the Kings in their offseason and next year. Um, we have had some coaching changes, my friend, after Boston and Portland led the charge. Uh, three other organizations have gone in on this. So let's start with Stan Van Gundy at the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, the first question and the question that I'll ask for all three coaches, does he find another job elsewhere uh, at all? Or can you see him being finished? No, I can see Stan Van Gundy going back to the media, if I'm honest. Um I don't think a lot of people were impressed with his coaching this year in New Orleans, me being one of them. Yeah. I think his rotations were garbage. I think his play calling was subpar. And I don't think he was the right man to lead that team forward. So I think the Pelicans made the right choice in letting him go. And I can see Stan joining his brother, Jeff, in the commentary booth next year. Yeah, I agree, mate. And, the fact that Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Zion couldn't get to the playoffs at all is, it sounds ridiculous a bit when you say it out loud. So, um, speaking of that, do you think bringing in a new coach incentivizes Lonzo to stay? He is a free agent. I think, I think Lonzo Ball could be on the move. I think there's going to be teams who, look at his defensive upside and think I will buy some. Yeah, there's a team in Massachusetts that might need him. Well, yeah, well, now that you've got no Kemba Walker, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit later, but Holy I think there's going to be some Lonzo Ball suitors out there. And I can see him maybe on his third team next year. Is he the sort of player that you think in the right system can bring the best out of himself or do you think where he's at right now or where he's at the last sort of two seasons is just who he is? How much upside do you see in Lonzo? Well, he's significantly improved his shooting numbers every year in the NBA. Mm. So he's shown that he's willing to put in the work to improve himself. He's willing to put in the work to become a better player so I think in the right system next to the right pieces, he can definitely 
live up to that number two overall pick that he got taken with. Yeah, I'm not sure how it would affect someone. Um, we know, obviously, what's everything that's happened with his dad and the sort of pressures that they're put under. So um, do you think when organisations are looking at Lonzo, it needs to be an organisation that you think can can deal with the family side or do you think Lamelo's taking all the love there? I think LeVar's been a bit quieter of late and with Lamelo coming out and winning Rookie of the Year and doing big things, I think Lonzo, in a way, is the forgotten man. So uh, a franchise can definitely bring him in and the media won't won't be as crazy as it was, say, three years ago when he first came into the league, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So uh, our consensus, Stan Van Gundy probably won't find another job. Just before we move on from the Pelicans, mate, reports emerging uh, that Zion uh, is unhappy and might refuse a contract extension and he'd be the first rookie in, oh, God knows how long to do so. Uh, do you think Zion will be a Pelican long-term or do you think he'll look to get out? Because reports are that his family is not happy. Zion deserves to be under the bright lights of a big market, my friend. Mm. And despite the Pelicans being insanely happy when they lucked into the number one pick, I think the writing was on the wall straight away that Zion was always going to end up playing in a big market. Mm. I can see the New York Knicks swooping in and finally landing that big free agent. I think Zion under the bright lights of Madison Square Garden is a match made in heaven. So I can see that happening in the future. Um, But the fact that Zion's only played, well, really a whole year in the NBA and has already shown a bit of a diva side in terms of him not being happy with the organization is a slight concern. I think he he needs to be grateful for the opportunity he's been given. And just because things didn't go right this season with Stan Van Gundy, I don't think he needs to throw the toys out of the cot straight away. Um, So that's a slight concern, but yeah, I can see Zion under the bright lights of MSG in the future. And I think all the Knicks fans that are thinking if his body can get right, that would be amazing. All right, mate, moving on. Uh, Washington let go of Scott Brooks. Um, Again, the question that I'm going to ask about all three coaches, do you think he finds another job? I think Scott Brooks can find another job. Um, Not many things have gone right for him when he's been at Washington. Injuries have hit him seriously hard, whether it be his star players like John Wall when he was around or just good serviceable, serviceable role players like Thomas Bryant this year doing his ACL. He hasn't had a lot of luck in DC. so, And he's proven in the past with these Oklahoma City teams that He can take teams to the playoffs and make them successful. Um, Washington have been one of the best offensive teams in his time there. So if there's a young defense, if there's a young offensive team who's struggling to put the ball in the basket, such as an Orlando magic, I think he could be a good fit there to come in and make an offensive system around their strengths. So I can see Scott Brooks being in the NBA still next year. Yeah. And with reports that Bradley Beal's on the move, I mean, at this point, uh, the Wizards managed, uh, organization have basically thrown in a stick of dynamite and are blowing the place up. Do you think that's the right move? 
Yeah, there's only so much roster tinkering that you can do. I mean, a lot of people thought the John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade was a sideways trade. Westbrook definitely had a better season than John Wall, but yeah, the result was the result was still the same in Washington in terms yeah. of a first round playoff exit. So there's only so much you can persist with the pieces that you have before going, okay, it's not working. Let's blow it up. Hello, uh, Portland, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anyone that you don't want at Portland at this stage? Because nearly everyone we've gone through that's on the move, you're telling Portland to pick up the phone. So just give us one player who you don't want at Portland and the answer can't be CJ. Um, I'll just say Russell Westbrook. Okay, fair enough. All right, and last one, mate, the last coach that has departed. Rick Carlisle informed the Mavericks that he won't be back next year. Did have a contract for next year, I believe. So that was a bit of a different one. And if Rick Carlisle wants another job, I think we agree he's probably going to get one. Uh, coach Dallas to their uh, championship in 2011 and congratulations to him on a fantastic coaching career. I think it's the first thing that needs to be said. Not many coaches in this caper uh, get to win championships. So all the respect in the world to Rick. Um, do you think he finds another job sooner rather than later? And where do you think he fits? Rick Carlisle should be the most wanted head coach in this coaching merry-go-round that is the NBA at the moment. Mm. His record in Dallas is outstanding. And of those teams who are looking for a new head coach, Rick Carlisle should be the number one on all of their lists because he has shown that he can make a great game plan around not much. Like just look at the 2011 finals. The Miami Heat were undoubtedly the more talented team. Yeah. When you compare starting lineups, you know, you've got Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and Chris Bosch all on one side and Dirk Nowitzki and some good role players on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they had Jason Kidd at the end of his career. They had Tyson Chandler, who only made one all-star team, I believe. They had Sean Marion, who was at the end of his career. And they had Deshaun Stevenson, who the casual fan probably doesn't even remember. Yeah, exactly right. So, no disrespect to those players, but it doesn't have this, uh, quite the same ring as LeBron, Bosch, and uh, D-Wade. So, yeah, I agree yes. with you, mate. Rick Carlisle deserves all the credit in the world. So it's come out. Uh, Portland, your neck of the woods, mate, have released their uh, finalized list, uh, allegedly. Um, and Boston have said that they're ruling Rick Carlisle out. So why do you think these two teams or our two teams have done this? And do you think they're making a mistake or do you think he doesn't fit in those two teams? I think the Portland trailblazers have two outstanding candidates in terms of having second interviews. Uh, Becky Hammond, the Spurs assistant coach, is the person who I would like to see coach my team next year in terms of her experience under Greg Popovich in San Antonio. She has been an outstanding assistant coach for a long time, has seen the best to nearly the best to ever do it in Greg Popovich for so long. So I would like to see that, but we also have Chauncey Billups who I think is 
one of Damian Lillard's favoured candidates now that Jason Kidd has removed himself. So I can see what Portland doing. As soon as Rick Carlisle put in his resignation in Dallas, I said to a few of my mates, watch out for Boston. Yeah. Because Rick Carlisle won an NBA championship in Boston as a player. And that just had a certain romantic feel to it. Him going back to Boston and being the man to take the reins and lead them back to the promised land. So yeah, mate, I remember my beautiful partner's got her own cake business and we we're up really late one night finishing off some orders and I woke up uh, at a not respectable time the next morning to just a message from you that says Rick Carlisle's gone. Um, you'll be welcoming him home. So pretty excited and like you really surprised that um, Boston ruled him out. And especially since there hasn't been a, a list released of, uh, who Boston are looking at. I'm with you, mate. That is strange. But speaking of Boston, the only real trade of note has gone on has been the Kemba Walker trade. Now, I have a Kemba jersey, which is now worthless. Um, not sure how much it was worth given uh, what Kemba gave us, which was um, the inability to play back-to-backs. But just before we get to the trade itself, he wasn't terrible at Boston. He wasn't what he was at Charlotte because of his knees, obviously. But do you think the Kemba criticism by Boston fans is fair? Again, I'm biased here. So I love Kemba and I think he deserved criticism, but I'm not sure how much um, he got was as deserved because it's not like he came to Boston and turned into a guy who couldn't play basketball, but that's just me. Yeah, I think... When you trade for someone, there's always an expectation. Mm. And the expectations for Kemba were high because he was coming off his best season in Charlotte. And I think Boston fans looked at that and thought, okay, he's in a way better scenario here with the Celtics. He's got a better coach, better players around him. He should go to the next level again. But the fact of the matter is he didn't whether that be because of his knees or other factors, it's hard to say. But the expectation on Kemba was high. So I can understand the frustration for Boston fans considering they didn't get that level of play that they thought they would get. But also the man can't help that his knees have had enough. And it's something that no player wants to be injured No player wants to have their body let them down. So I think you need to go a bit easy on Kemba because he'd be hurting in terms of his Boston career, knowing that he couldn't produce what he can produce and wanted to produce. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the Boston curse lives on, mate. Kyrie got injured uh, really close to the playoffs in 2017-18. And we know what JT and Jalen Brown did, almost taking the Celtics to the finals. They get in Gordon Haywood and, you know, 10 seconds into his, what felt like 10 seconds into his Celtics career, he breaks his leg. We bring Canberra in, his knees are shot. Um, I'm not sure who they're going to bring in next, who's a big name, and I'm not sure it's going to be this season. But, um, yeah, fingers crossed they can get a free agent or a big name who's not hurt all the time. But let's go through Kemba's trade. The OKC Thunder receive Kemba, pick 16 in this draft. That's the Celtics' first pick, a 2025 second round pick. The OKC have just got 
more draft capital than I've had hot dinners, frankly, which is impressive. The Celtics got back Al Horford, as we know, has been at uh, Boston before. Moses Brown, uh, their very young center, and probably the part of the trade I'm most excited about, and a second rounder in 2023. I think we can agree just reading that, that the OKC have won the trade, but I'm a big fan of you don't need to win the whole trade, but you could win part of the trade. And I think Moses Brown and Robert Williams are going to combine as a young center core that's quite exciting. But take us through your analysis, mate. Yeah, I watched a little bit of Moses Brown when he was in college at UCLA. And then he signed a rookie deal with the Portland Trailblazers as an undrafted rookie. So I saw a little bit of him play in Portland, showed some flashes, and then went to OKC and played some good games towards the end of the last season. He's very raw. He's very young. So it's a risk to take. Obviously, Al Horford has played some good basketball in Boston before, and they love what he brings. So to bring him back, they're quite happy with that. I don't think it's as much of a loss in terms of the Boston Celtics as people are making it out to be because all they need to do is bring in a point guard who can stay healthy and be that third scoring option that they thought Kemba was going to be. Um, it's got Lonzo so, written all over it, mate. Well, you never know, but I don't think it's the worst trade in the world. Could they have got more if they waited it out? Yes, but obviously they wanted to get it over and done with early. Yeah. So, you know, and I think OKC aren't going to keep Kemba Walker. I think that's the thing that's not being spoken about. Um, Kemba Walker will end up being on a championship contender that is going to nurse him through the season and try and have him right for the playoffs. Someone like the uh, Dallas Mavericks stands out to me. Mm-hmm. For Kemba, a team like that, who um, obviously Luka Doncic had to carry the whole load. So if they can nurse Kemba through the season and have him right for the playoffs, maybe a team like Dallas can take a risk on him. I'm not sure what they what the OKC Thunder are going to do, but I would be very surprised if he was in a Thunder jersey come opening night of the next NBA season. Yeah, I like it, mate. I'm not sure how Dallas fans will uh, will feel about it, but. I don't think they can be more frustrated than they are with Kristaps Porzingis. So uh, let's hope that the uh, Dallas fans rest a bit easier with what's happening over there. All right, mate. Wow, this has been a bumper episode. There has been more drama than a keeping up with the Kardashians. And um, speaking uh, speaking of that, mate, the uh, it was quite funny. Have you seen the uh, the Kendall Jenner conference finals meme that's going around? Yes, uh, I just as we that. end on a bit of a funny note, that was quite funny for those aren't aware. If Philly had have gone through instead of Atlanta, uh, Kendall Jenner would have had four of her exes, one on each team, which is a bit coincidental, but yeah. So whoever made that, I don't have the person in front of me. Full credit, that was fantastic. All right, Smithy, we're out of here, mate. Um, what a show! It's been a long one, but bloody hell, there's been a lot happening in the NBA, Smithy. It's been a pleasure, mate. Um, we're going to figure out some sort of schedule to get through, especially the finals. Um, we're going to try and do um, post game for every game. So if you're not following already, feel free to give us a follow. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We know it is a long one. Um, there's just been 
a hell of a lot happening. So we appreciate your patience. And if you've listened all the way through, thank you very much. You're an absolute legend. Smithy, we're out of here, mate. It's been a blast and we'll catch you next time. Stay safe, everyone.